Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. As it stands now, only Oregon State University and Washington State University will be in the Pac-12 next year. Much of the talk about this has centered on football, since the money football brings in through TV deals is the reason for the implosion of the conference. But what about the bands and cheer squads and other student groups that support athletics? As reported in the Daily Barometer, members of OSU's marching band are facing their fair share of distress and uncertainty over the collapse of the Pac-12. Mary Ross is a fifth-year saxophone player in the band and serves as the band's recruitment officer, and she joins us now. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. How's it going? Doing great. I'm thrilled to have you on. I should let you know that we let that music in the break play a little bit longer just so we could hear this one little part of a saxophone solo that I'm fond of. Um, anyway. Love you so well. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you joined the marching band uh, in your first year, five years ago. Why? I did. Um, I will say I came from a program in high school that was so, so small. We never had a marching band program. It was very much a hesitancy, kind of newly sort of thing. You know, um, I remember sitting next to my laptop as a freshman and thinking, well, you know, that's a couple hundred friends. That's fine. Hmm. And it really spiraled into something much more meaningful throughout those next five years. I don't regret it, honestly. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. What What do you mean? What, spi- what, what was the spiral to meaningfulness over the last five years? Oh boy, it was really falling in love with what marching band or even just having some sort of spirited music group at any sort of function, whether it be a sport function, dinner, just like for fun on like the side of the road, maybe at like a farmer's market. Hmm. That kind of music and that kind of energy really brings other people to life in ways that you kind of don't really expect it to until you start to kind of pay attention to it and kind of pick up on it and notice it and really look around the room and see what happens. Um, I was talking about this a little bit earlier with someone, the amount of euphoric energy that especially a member of the marching band gets when you're sitting in the stands of Research Stadium, crowd is going wild. Um, Corvallis really is, in my opinion, one of the best college towns in the Pac-12. And our student section, our alumni, our community, just brings so much of that life that it's really hard not to love. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I can't help but think when you say it's one of the best college towns in the Pac-12. I mean, <laughs> next year, obviously, something has to change. There are not. It's not going to be the Pac-2. That's not a conference. But, but what kinds of conversations have you had just with your fellow bandmates at OSU since this news broke? You know. It's funny because a lot of those conversations, I would say, happened even before the news broke. Lots of, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, they're talking to UW. They're talking to University of Oregon for almost a little more than a year now. So I think sometimes there was like a little jolt of tension every single time someone would share an article and our kind of shared band group chats. Everyone would be like, no, it's fine. They wouldn't. They want to do that. We're going into a Power Five conference. When that news broke, it was almost like, I don't want to say it was frenzied, but it was definitely curious. It was definitely fearful. And it was definitely angry. 
Hmm. Um, a lot of confusion on why these decisions are being made. What, you know, what really brought those kind of upper heads who, of course, you know, they're not really talking to the students. Of course, you know, hmm. none of us were in the room where it happened. Um, and so I think there was a lot of frustration on the part of what about the students? What about the athletes, both in football? And what about all of these other athletic programs that are impacted and no one is thinking about, you know, no one's talking about the basketball teams, the rowing teams, the soccer teams that all also contribute a lot to this conference. Um, so I think there's a lot of frustration there. Um, in terms of the band, I think there was a lot more of a bated breath, if you will, just in terms of, you know, it, a lot of what happens with us depends on what happens with just how things pan out in the next year. Um, so not a lot to talk about besides, well, RIP to the Pac-12. Um, we'll have a good time. But, you know, as always, go Beavers. <laughs> One of the big issues that that we've talked about and, and others is travel. And before that, that's been in the context of student athletes. But what does regular travel look like for the band and, in, in, you know, for you in the last five years? Yeah, I think that's an awesome question. Travel historically has been honestly one of our strongest points of accessibility and accommodation. Um, just like being able to accommodate everyone in the band, it's always a pleasure and honestly such a privilege to be able to say, you know, you went to Vegas, you went to Seattle, California, sometimes for the first time, sometimes the only time that people have in their lives hmm. without having to worry so much about financials. Um, I remember my first ever trip was to California, Berkeley in 2019. We shoved the whole band onto a couple charter buses. You get um, certain per diems um, paid out by the university unless you are provided a breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Um, we get those per diems to just make sure, you know, we're well fed. Um, one of the best fed bands in the Pac-12, in my opinion. <laughs> um, but that's pretty much what simple travel looks like. Um, it all depends on where we're going. It all depends on conference things, available schools to us that'll dictate how many people we can either fund to get on a bus or on a plane. Um, it's possible that when when all the dust settles, that you, you could be in a conference that has teams that are much further away. We don't know yet. What would that mean? I honestly wish I could tell you. Um, there's so much speculation, um, and it's somewhat hard to really draw a lot of conclusions from, you know, because of course you can speculate, you know, um, just using California again and Stanford as an example here, two Pacific Coast schools have just joined the Atlantic Coast Conference, which is notably 3,000 miles away, um, which is great. That's awesome. Um, but, you know, that, that kind of makes, you know, buses harder. It makes driving, taking a train even. Um, it definitely complicates a lot of things. Um, but also at the same time, you never really know. Um, Oregon State, I know, and Washington State have been doing a really awesome job trying to keep the students in mind. Um, so I guess it's really just, well, besides what the band kids can conjure up in our heads, um, kind of really hard to say right now, honestly, Dave. I apologize. Yeah, that's all right. I mean, we 
I don't think we'd be talking if there were 100% certainty. But I'm, I'm curious. I mean, one thing that, that, that you do as the recruitment officer is to try to get people to join the band. It, do you think that that job is going to change in the coming years if you're not, when you're not in the Pac-12? Yes and no. Um, I don't know if much of like the certain, you know, physical like substance of we go out, we're going to table at a lot of these um, high school marching band competitions, a lot of local, you know, locality in Oregon that we're really targeting. I just think there's a different kind of language to be used now that a lot of our community and a lot of the things, you know, that we call tradition, the typical bonds and connections that we've made with other programs in the conference you know, of course, a lot of those naturally will change as our conference is changing. And I know that for a lot of folks coming in, honestly, I feel I, I feel really awesome that a lot of these folks get one more year of kind of knowing a little bit of that experience. Hmm. Um, but I always do kind of question, especially in my position, how, you know, the draw will change as those connections and community cultures change. Um, but I also believe, and I was talking about this a little bit the other day as well, these are kind of everyday conversations, as you can kind of tell. Um, hmm. I'm hoping, and you know what, I believe in our university atmosphere enough, and honestly, our atmosphere as an organization, as a band, um, to really foster a lot of that, you know, still have a lot of fun. You know, we're still our goofy, you know, your local favorite band. Um, and I think that energy Honestly, it should be enough to keep our numbers going. Um, this year, we hit a historic 305 people signed up as of July 31st with intent to march in the band this year. And obviously, you know, those numbers change, you know, as, you know, the year comes up closer, people realize scheduling things. So, of course, people sometimes have to drop. But um, I don't see that energy and that excitement for our craft and our school and kind of that energy that I was talking about that we bring to the university and to those game days. I don't see any of that stopping. And honestly, I'm thinking that that'll be our, that'll be our strong point for recruiting for this year. Hmm. Meanwhile, just with 30 seconds left, this is your last year. What are you most looking forward to? Oh boy. Um, a little bit of everything. <laughs> you know, the beaver spirit is real. <laughs> And honestly, I love everyone who I do all my work with. Um, it's been honestly such an amazing time. I've met lifelong friends through this program. Um, and I'm just ready to wrap it all up in a really nice way. Mary, congratulations and thanks for your time today. Thank you so, so much. Mary Ross is a fifth year student, plays tenor sax in the Oregon State University Marching Band and is also the recruitment officer for the band. Finally today, our senior producer, Allison Frost, joins me to read some of your recent feedback on everything from menstrual research to forest policy to artificial intelligence. Hey, Al. Hey, Dave. Well, let's start with last week's interview with OHSU uh, Associate Professor Bethany Samuelson-Bano. She co-authored that recent study you, you mentioned, measuring the absorption of various kinds of menstrual products with the aim of uh, improving care for those who experience heavy bleeding. Natasha Gaskin wrote... I missed at least two days of school work life obligations every month since I was 14 until I had a hysterectomy in my early 40s. 
Doctors always discounted my pain and how much disruption this caused in my life. I had to have a hysterectomy because I could not keep my iron levels up. Only then did my surgeon find I had stage four endometriosis. She went on to write, Every doctor I ever had, except for my current gynecologist, discounted the pain and impact on my life. I can't help but think that if men experienced this kind of life-altering pain every single month, there would be an entire institution, entire institutions dedicated to finding a solution. Sonia Marie Lycom had a similar experience. She wrote, I had contraction-level pain at times during my period, and the pain was dismissed until it got so bad I was sent to the ER. Endometriosis was the culprit, adhering my ovaries to the wall of my uterus and encasing my colon. Melissa Wetherill wrote, how about this question? Why are we comfortable devoting so little research to a condition that causes anemia and other health problems for a large portion of our population, yet so frequently also have all sorts of physical ailments blamed on it? See also menstrual cramps, perimenopause, and menopause. Audrey said, it is wild that women's reproductive health research is not given more attention even though we carry the spawn, yet men can mail-order erectile dysfunction pills. We talked recently with the former AI executive Charles Jennings. He's among the many experts warning of the threats of this technology, and he's calling for the creation of a federal government commission to oversee the development of AI, similar to the Atomic Energy Commission. We asked listeners how AI has impacted them. Amy Farber wrote, I'd like to say, but my robot overlords won't let me. Shane Warden wrote, I use Microsoft's Copilot for programming assistance. Sometimes it saves time. Other times it gives bad advice. I'm experienced enough to know the difference, but I worry that newer developers will get into trouble. Katie Kinsley said, my husband lost his job working in AI language processing for hospital systems because ChatGPT replaced him. Ryan Hooper said, I think the prognostications should point out that AI is like an oncoming hurricane. You see it on the horizon, but until it hits, you have no idea how devastating it will be. Finally, we also talked about what can be done to manage wildfire risks in communities in southern Oregon, specifically those affected by a Douglas fir die-off connected to disease and climate change. Serena Nicholson wrote, The truth is that when you cut down all the old growth, our forests have much less resistance to opportunistic insects and drought conditions. The trees are not dying due to a few hot summers. They are dying due to mismanagement of our forest and timber industries plan to turn all of Oregon forests into tree farms. Christine Hauber emailed, We lived in South Eugene for over 35 years. Some 10 years ago, when we had a horrific ice storm, a large 100-year-old oak, home to many squirrels, owls, and a family of raccoons, snapped and fell, along with many Douglas fir. In the absence of these magnificent shade providers, all manner of invasive species have sprouted. Coupled with the new intense summertime heat, we too have noticed a massive die-off of the remaining Doug fir. As I sit and look out my back window, I count 10 dead Douglas fir trees tilting in various angles. She added, what has replaced this once beautiful canopy is a huge overgrowth of choking ivy, blackberry, and poison oak. While the woodpeckers certainly enjoy the dead Douglas firs, we have already seen a steady increase of wasps and yellow jackets, which are making their homes in the base of rotted dead tree stumps and huge cracks in the ground that have opened from lack of water. The frogs are gone, and the once shy deer are venturing further and further out into the streets in the neighborhoods to find anything to eat or drink. 
We always welcome your emails and your comments in whatever form you like. Our address is thinkoutloud at opb.org. Our voicemail number is 503-293-1983. And on Facebook, we're at opbtol. Thanks, Allison. You're welcome, Dave. Tomorrow on the show, paramedics in rural Oregon don't just respond to emergencies. They can help fill in the gaps for people with chronic medical conditions, providing at-home care that keeps people out of the ER. We'll talk to two community paramedics about their work on the next Think Out Loud. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on NPR's app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. Have a great day. Think Out Loud is supported by Steve and Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Ray and Marilyn Johnson, and the Susan Hammer Fund of the Oregon Community Foundation. Thank you.